Hello and welcome to the Travel Weekly Podcast. In this episode, we look ahead to the future as all-inclusive hotel brands reveal plans to reopen resorts and outline the post-pandemic hygiene measures, which could become the new normal. But first, we discuss if summer dreams have been truly ripped at the seams by Health Secretary Matt Hancock's admission that it's unlikely for international holidays to be possible this summer. Editor-in-Chief Lucy Huxley speaks to the Association of Atoll Companies Alan Bowen, Cosmos and Avalon's Giles Hawke, and the PC agency's Paul Charles. We've got a lot I want to cover today, so I'm going to kick uh, straight off with um, talking about the, the latest guidance from the government that we heard on Sunday. Uh, I think the key thing for the travel industry is obviously this quarantine uh, the 14-day quarantine period that they are definitely going to, they've confirmed they're going to introduce that. We don't know when, we don't know how long it will last, so that's a problem because we're all obviously now very worried about that, but we don't really know how worried we need to be. But I guess I wanted to ask you, um, you know, people are now saying, well, that's it, that's just wiped out the summer. Is that your view? Matt Hancock this morning, the health secretary, secretary on the television was basically saying summer's cancelled pretty likely that's the end of it. So do you do you agree? Let's start with you, Alan. Uh, unfortunately, yes, I think it is. Um, the AAC had a, a, an online meeting last Thursday, and we all took the view that there will be very little travel, if any, before the fourth quarter, so from September onwards. And I think the, the quarantine issue has really stymied any realistic early, early startup. Having said that, Ryanair this morning were claiming that on the 1st of July, they'd start flying and that everybody will be going to Italy and Greece and Spain. Well, Spain, they certainly won't be going to unless they want to spend a fortnight in quarantine when they arrive and then come back and have another fortnight when they get home. I mean, the, the whole issue is there is no clarity at all. Uh, we were hoping that yesterday in this wonderful 50-page document that turned out to be 60 pages, so they hadn't even counted the number of pages before announcing it, would actually explain what was happening. But there's no explanation at all. Um, so we don't know when it's starting, although we've given notice it's probably going to be at the end of the month or the beginning of June, which means those who want to come back can do so before it starts. Um, we've given no indication of how long it's going to go on. I mean, I'm very concerned that today the furlough um, benefit system is going to continue to October. So the government clearly expect that this issue of corona being a, a, a huge problem for everybody is going to go on for a considerable period of time. It's not going to be finished anytime soon. So I suspect September may well be the earliest we will see any departures. Okay. Do, do you agree, Giles? I mean, is there, is there, you know, any way to stop these quarantine measures sort of wiping out the, the rest of the summer or, or are you in agreement with Alan? I'm, I'm in agreement with Alan. I think it's, um, you know, I think people have talked about too little, too late. And, and this is very much like waiting till the full time whistle and then thinking, oh, we'll put our top striker on. You know, they're, they're, this should have been done months ago. It should have been done at the start of the lockdown. Other countries were doing it way before we even sort of thought about it. We're way behind the curve and you can see why they're doing it. But at the same time, to loosen up other rules just doesn't make sense. So I think both for outbound tourism and for inbound tourism, and we have an arm of our business that we bring tens of thousands of people into the UK from the US, Canada, Australia uh, every summer. When it wipes that out for the summer as well, we're just about to, or this week we're announcing, um, cancelling all of our programmes for July and August. We'd already gone till the end of June. Um, we're cancelling the end of August now. 
Uh, so the earliest in, in light uh, of this quarantine announcement, we we'd actually made that decision last week, um, okay. but we're announcing this week just because we can't see it coming back that quickly, and there being sufficient demand to to make it sort of viable to run the coach tours and run the river cruises. Um, I, I suppose the only possible positive in all of this is as we start to see some relaxation uh, domestically, there may be some op opportunities for domestic operators selling to Brits, traveling in Britain. But even there, you know, there's, there's no clarity about when that might happen. We've got a big domestic program. We're looking at how we can sell that to Brits, but we're, we're gonna focus on Q1 2021 for departures because we just can't see any clarity or any chance of anything realistic before then. But then you at could, the same you time, could you've got to, to, you could sell to France as well, though, couldn't you, Giles? Well, potentially. But who's, you know, who in this sort of environment, you know, you've got to say, where is the customer confidence for making a booking to travel somewhere further than, you know, further than sort of away for a day or, or, or for a few hours as it stands today? But, you know, if we're going to start opening schools, if we're going to start opening sort of outdoor public places, gradually we might see other places opening. That's assuming we don't see another spike. And I, my sense is a lot of people are just assuming we're going to see another spike in several weeks' time and we'll have another full lockdown. Okay. I mean, I'll bring you in, Paul. I mean, Giles made that point there around consumer confidence. I mean, if people were thinking, all right, I might get away for the end of summer, or I've got the confidence to book for autumn, winter, this word quarantine, this latest announcement, is that pretty much curtains for people, you know, being confident about travelling? I think the quarantine measures are crushing for the sector. Um, there was hope before these measures were announced or leaked and then announced. Um, and I think, you know, bookings were still coming through, especially in the luxury end of the sector, where there were pretty decent bookings, some very big bookings indeed for private villas uh, overseas for next year. But what the quarantine measures are, are measures which have been seen to work elsewhere. So we've seen them work effectively in New Zealand, for example, or in Vietnam, uh, places which I present, but which have seen zero deaths or very few deaths and, and low numbers of infections. So the quarantine measures have worked overseas and the government has clearly looked at those and thought, yes, now's the time we need to introduce them. Clearly, presumably they worked ways. in New Zealand and, and sorry to interrupt, but presumably they worked in those destinations because to Giles's point, they introduced them much sooner along the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. They were introduced early on. And with coronavirus, there is one thing we do know, and that's that you have to move fast, you have to act with certainty and move as hard as you can to restrict it. That's one certainty we do have in this whole crisis. But what quarantine does is take away from the sector any visibility. What it's doing is saying to consumers, well, we're, we're in effect closing our borders because that's in effect what a quarantine is. Nobody's going to rightly come back in quarantine for two weeks or come into the country in the first place. And the government likes that because it's seen as a medical measure, putting the health of the nation before the economic health of the nation, despite the success of furlough schemes. And so, as, as we've heard, we're not going to see any overseas travel to speak of for some months yet. And indeed, the FCO advice is you can't travel unless it's essential anyway. So the domestic market will be very strong at some point. Um, yeah, well, we'll come back to the furlough scheme. Both of you have um, mentioned that, and I want to come back to that in a minute. But just, just in terms of the, you know, in terms of 
what people what what should um you know what should agents and operators be telling customers then you know they've previously been going where they can i know they've been dealing a lot with the refunds but they've been obviously saying you can still book for you know the future and you can still you know take your refund credit notes or you know they're trying to still have this confidence but what should they be saying now uh, alan let's come to you it's very difficult is the honest answer i know a lot of people initially at the start thought that perhaps by july and august holidays would have begun again and a lot of people rebooked for four months after they'd planned to go. And clearly those holidays aren't going to happen. And one of the big issues that's arisen because of the refund credit note is that people have been very reluctant to pay final balances because they could see that if they did, they weren't going to get the money back when it was canceled. And that's become a real problem for, for travel agents. Some operators have been very good and they've made it clear exactly when they'll be in a position to refund. I fear that some of them said it will be the 31st of July, because that was the first date that I have to propose. Yeah. And of course, now, by the 31st of July, there'll be virtually nothing operating, if anything at all. And therefore, the cash flow that they probably hoped would have started by then may well not have begun. Um, we are in a very difficult position. I mean, literally 15 minutes ago, I had a call from one of my clients who was selling a holiday for next March. And the customer's question was, well, what is travel going to be like in March next year? And he rang me for an answer. And I don't have an answer of what it's going to be like in a fortnight, never mind March 2021. And that is the real problem. This, this quarantine could be for a month. It could be for a year. It could be for three months. We have no idea. And neither have the government. Uh, this is making it up as they go along. Um, they clearly told Airports UK in advance that they were planning to introduce it. And Airports UK then linked the story to the press in the hope there'd be outcry uh, and, and the government would change their mind. And in fact, the consumer has said, actually, that seems like a very good idea. The problem is, in the intervening seven weeks, we've had 100,000 people come back, some of whom will have undoubtedly brought the virus back into the UK. So it's far too late, but it's, it's being seen to do something. Well, what do, so what do we need from government now? Do, do we need presumably clarity on how long this quarantine is going to be in place for is, is key because then presumably agents and operators can start planning again. But clarity from the government has been in short supply, I would suggest, um, over the last seven weeks. So are we, you know, are, you know, is it going to be a rolling thing? I mean, are we, are we likely to get any kind of clarity on how long this quarantine will last? I doubt it. I think at least we could start with when it's going to begin and an indication that it will be at least, and so they could say it will be at least for eight weeks, for example, which would take out June and July. Um, I suspect it may well be for longer than that. But then the question is, how are they going to enforce this? Um, over in Ireland, they've had a quarantine system for the last two months, but it simply required customers to fill in a form when they arrive back at Dublin Airport and hand it in to a member of staff. And they, they released the figures last week, 34% of people arriving at Dublin didn't fill in the form at all. So, you know, if there isn't any form of enforcement, it's completely pointless. I do wonder I think if that will actually be the case. I think it's very easy for the UK government to introduce quarantine. It's harder to remove it. It's very similar to the lockdown. Very easy to stop the country with 24, 48 hours notice. But as Boris Johnson and the rest of the cabinet are finding out, it's much harder to unravel it, to unlock the lockdown. And the same applies to quarantine. Once you put it in place, there's no major incentive for governments to move fast 
to bring it out of quarantine, to bring the country out of quarantine. And this is the problem that the airlines particularly, as well as the rest of the travel industry are facing. There's no opportunity to restart. So at every moment where they've had an opportunity to restart and think about how to build up flights again, and British Airways and Ryanair today announcing they will start flights from the 1st of July. At every moment they've tried to restart, the government has then said, well, actually, we're going to have to go back a bit and think about the medical priorities, the health priorities of this country. So all of us in business are trying to restart, but actually it's proving very hard to do that. And we're having to think about restructure instead of restart. Okay. And, you know, ultimately, what's the impact of this? I mean, you know, it's going to presumably put much more financial pressure onto businesses, undoubtedly. Um, You know, and, and, you know, could it lead to more failures? You know, I mean, might some businesses just look at this and just throw in the towel and just say, I I can't exist for another three months not getting any income uh, into my business? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we're seeing already, you know, even before um, furlough was introduced, there are a number of companies who are making redundancies since furlough has been in place. We've seen airlines talking about, you know, significant numbers of redundancies. We've seen today even, you know, one of the big cruise companies talking about a big um, uh, consultation around redundancies. I think, you know, if the big companies with deep pockets are seeing these issues, smaller companies are going to find it pretty challenging uh, the longer we go without money coming in. So, you know, furlough definitely helps because one of the big costs of a lot of companies is is people. And if you can help to um, you know, manage some of your people costs through furlough, then that's a great help. Um, and the fact that's been extended now, what that will look like after the end of July, we still need to sort of wait to see. Um, but certainly at the end of July, that 80% sounds like it's, it's fixed. So it allows you to say some of that cost is, is sort of help to be covered. Um, but if you haven't got money coming in, you're not being productive, you're not driving business, somewhere along the line, all our business models are predicated on people booking holidays, spending money on us and using some of that money to pay the suppliers, and the rest becomes profit that you help to use to run your business. If you haven't got that money coming in to run your business, at some point, the money dries up. Mm. And I think, you know, the longer that goes, the more likely we are to see failures, uh, big and small companies, um, travel agents, tour operators, who haven't got the money coming in, aren't able to pay suppliers, aren't able to pay customers back. Um, and I think, it, you know, it's a big issue. It's a big, yeah. big challenge we're facing. And I, and I think we haven't seen the, si- the size and scale of what's coming yet. Yeah, would, uh, would you agree with that, Alan? You must have people, you know, ringing yeah. you all the time. I mean, clearly, the, the big problem is that for most operators, the 12 weeks of summer keeps them going for the other 40 weeks of the year. They need to make profit in July and August in order to survive November and December. And the reality is there's no no profit going to be in July, probably no profit in August, maybe very little in September. Uh, I mean, I think there are going to be huge problems. Um, The CAA are going to have huge problems with renewals at the end of September. I mean, they've admitted that the next set of accounts are going to look horrendous for everybody. Um, So it's really going to be a question of looking to see where the cash flow is. And of course, the reality is there's going to be no cash flow. So unless you've already got money in the bank or you can get access to money, um, you're going to be in some difficulties at the end of September, assuming you survive that long. I mean, the the real problem will be when consumers start saying, actually, I've decided I've got this voucher. I now want cash. Uh, I mean, we've been very lucky. 70, 75 percent of customers have either rebooked immediately or taken the voucher. Um, 
when they begin to think, actually, I don't know how long this is going to go on for, and I'm furloughed, or worse, I've been made redundant, I want the money back. Um, when the, when push comes to start, we're going to be in some difficulty. We have yeah. been incredibly yeah. lucky so far. Chargebacks have been far lower than we, we expected. And it seems the banks themselves are rejecting chargebacks for fear that pushing too many of them onto the company will actually force the company out of business. And then the banks themselves will be liable to pay the customer the money back. While the company is still in existence, the chargeback, of course, goes back to the company. But when it goes out, it's the bank. Yeah, I do think there are some glimmers of hope. I mean, there are some people, quite a lot, actually, um, especially over the age of 60, 65, who've retired, who are not spending very much and they're sitting on money that they might have spent going out. And I think it's the CBR, the Centre for Economics and Business Research, who've said there's some £23 billion, which is not being spent which is just sitting there in people's savings accounts that would normally be spent. So there will be pockets where people do spend, and it's not one broad brush. And clearly, domestically, where we're going to have to travel to because we can't leave the country, um, or we can spend a common travel area of, of the island of Ireland as well, those are where the pockets of success are going to be over the next few months. But in the main, you're going to see... I think consolidation among major players and small players, especially who are desperate just for any form of cash. So there'll be mergers taking place in about three or four months' time. Uh, it won't just be a sorry tale of redundancies. It'll be a tale of substantial restructuring and consolidation in order to create new business models. And what will come out of this that could be quite positive, new business models which define how we're going to travel in future. Let's just go back to that furlough scheme that you, you've all mentioned. Giles, you were just saying there that you were referencing Carnival, which has obviously announced a consultation period with a number of its staff, um, which is interesting, isn't it? But it announced it on the day that the furlough scheme was extended. So, uh, you know, would that suggest that the furlough scheme actually isn't um, beneficial or, you know, the lifeline that, that, that we need it to be in the travel industry? I mean, people have said right from the start that, yes, it's been great, I guess, to stave off initial redundancies, but it doesn't actually solve the problem for travel because you still need people in your business working on the phones, dealing with all these um, cancellations and amendments, of which we're now going to have even more because of the extended quarantine period. So, um, you know, does the, you know, I know you say furlough is a, is a good thing, but is it, is it, you know, universally good for the travel industry, Alan? It, it, it can be, and there is a suggestion from August that there can be a split so that people will be able to do some work with a re reduced amount of money coming from the government. Um, now, that's been one of the big problems, that we've needed staff uh, in, in the offices in all, or working from home to deal with refunds, to deal with uh, cancellation and, and rebooking, and we haven't been able to use them because we couldn't afford to pay a full wage. So we had to say, stay at home and do nothing. Now, it's a pity it's going to be August, but there has been a lot of talk about the need to get people to do some work, perhaps not full time, and for the government to, to adjust. And they have indicated today that they will do that from August, but August seems a long time away. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think that the travel and hospitality industry should have had special um, treatment? And do you think it's still worth us lobbying to get special treatment because of this sort of the, the nature of our business that 
you know, work is still needing to be done? I would say yes. And I would say we should also be lobbying for support for longer because once everything else restarts, the travel and hospitality industry is probably going to be one of the last industries to restart properly. And even when we start getting bookings in, they're going to be bookings for quite some time in the future. So the sort of bulk of business you'd expect in the summer months that sees you through the winter, that's not going to happen. And even though we'll be taking deposits and bookings for next spring and next summer, you know, you're talking about deposits. You're not talking about the money that helps the business to keep running. So even then when pubs and bars and restaurants are open, hopefully, you know, in the autumn back end of the year, they're seeing full amounts of money coming in for the full service provided. They're able to generate the, the, the sort of bigger sums of money they would be used to. You know, the full payment happens at that time. We're taking small payments. And so we won't in travel and hospitality, we won't see the real money come in until people actually are about to travel about a year from now and onwards from there. So I think you know, there is an argument to say, if we want a travel industry, if we want a, a travel industry that actually is, has liquidity and is gonna survive, we, we need some government support. Now, whether that comes in the way of loans to see us through that period, whether that comes in the way of grants, um, you know, it, I think it is worth lobbying for further support um, from government to help the travel and tourism industry. Okay. Um, all right, I'm conscious of time and I want to move on to the future. Paul mentioned there there were some positives, I guess, some glimmers of hope. You, you know, there are some people with who might have available income and they might want to go away. Let's talk about that. You know, if we are to sort of reopen up the world and we're, at, we're able to get travel moving again, obviously there's some key issues, aren't there? Some fundamentals about how we're we going to do this whilst maintaining social distancing. And I know, Paul, you wrote an article that we published in... Um, on our website um, around where the onus should lie. And you very much felt that the onus, certainly on for the air piece, should lie with the airport in terms of testing to make sure people were safe to travel rather than with the airlines. So I just wanted to pick up on that and perhaps get your your view, Giles, on where, you know, what the what the responsibility is of the tour operator. So I think yeah, I think it's going to be confidence-led, first of all. It's really important that we're going to have to focus on creating that confidence. Um, whilst the government's focused on creating confidence medically through social distancing rules that have to last for some time, I think us in the industry are going to have to be very much focused on explaining to people why it's okay and safe to travel and to what the right deals as, as a result. So I think you're gonna see airlines and operators offering some pretty good deals uh, to help to kickstart when we can to get people traveling and booking for 2021. Um, and then it's about making sure that there are best standards practice in place. Um, in fact, the World Travel and Tourism Council have announced today uh, safe travels, uh, uh, global standards that can be consistently put in place in hospitality and other sectors. And I think uh, that's where we're going to have to focus. So we will only travel as consumers when we're confident that we're going to be safely looked after, we've got uh, less risk, and we can travel uh, with confidence. So I think the onus actually is on all of us to do that. Now, in terms of the airports themselves, I honestly believe that confidence will only come for when we're traveling overseas, when the airports are seen to be the safe place and, and filtering place. I don't think airlines are built for social distancing. You can't, it's ridiculous, uh, Ryanair saying this morning, 
Michael Leary say that uh, you have to put your hand up if you want to go to the loo on a flight. It, it's crazy. This isn't a way of travelling. It's not going to bring about confidence. So I, the airport should be tested to make sure that people are COVID-free before they then get anywhere near a plane, uh, which will give people confidence about travelling. Maybe difficult, it may be harder, but we're all having to do things in this coronavirus crisis which are not the norm, which are difficult, which are testing us and challenging us. And I think airports have to step up in order to deliver that. Okay. And, and Giles, you know, your business, you know, you have planes, you have coaches, you have hotels, you have river cruise ships. That's a lot of different, um, you know, parts of the uh, of the holiday that needs securing in some way to, to Paul's point to make people feel confident in every step of your trip that you might run. So how are you going to do that? Yeah, that's a very good question. And it's a very big <laughs> challenge. Um, I mean, we're, we're, the bit we own, if you like, is, is the river cruise ship. So we're working through all the protocols. We're working with CLEAR um, to understand what ocean cruise lines are doing. We're working together with other river cruise lines through CLEAR so that we can come up with sort of industry best practice. We're looking at deeper, deeper cleaning uh, routines. We're looking at what testing might look like. Um, most of the people who come on our river cruises or, or in fact, all of our holidays will have come by air in the vast majority of cases to get there. So there's a bit going back to what Paul said around, well, if the airport is a place where, you know, people get filtered and get tested, you sort of, there, there's a, some view that from there, once that, that's the sort of part of the holiday from there, they're in a sort of a bit of a bubble. Now, the issue and the challenges around that are when you're in resort, when you're on a coach, when you're doing a shore excursion off of the ship, you know, you're then coming into contact with other people. But that's going to reflect what's happening in day-to-day -day life anyway. You know, if you go on a coach uh, excursion from a ship and you go to a castle or something, it'll be no different to being at home and going to a shopping centre. Um, people are going to do those things. We're going to get used to wearing face masks, social distancing, different ways of behaving. And those sort of, I guess those protocols are going to be in place globally, not just locally, because we're all dealing with the same issue. Um, you know, longer term, one hopes that a... Uh, a vaccine will be found and ultimately some sort of maybe not necessarily a cure but some way of treating the symptoms so that you know it's a much less sort of virulent strain of, of sort of flu virus so that it's less likely to kill um, but I guess it's working with the rules that are in place at the moment working what is being seen elsewhere in the world and come out with our own best practice as well as sharing that because this shouldn't be a competitive environment. You know, I don't think any holiday company airline should be going out there saying, you know, we run a safer operation with regards to COVID-19 or any other virus than, than somebody else. I think we should be well, working together to, to create that. best practice. You say that, but we're getting an awful lot of press releases from people with villa holidays. I mean, Paul mentioned it as well, private villas, or I guess places which you can self-drive to, where you can then be on your own. You know, I think people are saying that this is, you know, an, an option that you might want to consider. I mean, they're not dissing anybody else. That wouldn't be right. But, um, you know, do, do you see that that kind of holiday becoming more popular or certainly um, booked more readily than, you know, one where you're sort of with a lot of people in a confined space? I, I think there are styles of holiday that might come back quicker than other styles of holiday. So ones where you have more space, ones where you're more likely to be just in your family unit or your friend unit will probably return much quicker than ones where you're gonna be mixing with a lot of people in close proximity. But I, 
I think, you know, I don't think we're talking a year or two years. I think we're talking you know, several months to get to that stage where those those first styles are sort of seen as a way forward. And I think, you know, end of the year, early part of next year, I would expect we'll see other types of travel return uh, sort of fairly quickly because, you know, the was it necessity is a mother of invention we will learn how to you know airports will learn how to run these protocols to work for airlines because airlines will pressure them we'll learn how to make things work on river cruise ships well they'll become sort of standards for coach travel whether it be you know um for holidays or for standard travel there'll be standards for going on a yeah. tube on but a that, train that all comes at a cost doesn't it i know you were earlier you were saying that we might see prices come down but actually some of these measures that the industry is going to have to adhere to as you say global standards um you know it that comes at a cost and also if we are you know Paul was saying earlier about the luxury sector still sort of standing up a little bit better because people can go off to these private islands and travel in a little bit more space I mean again that's usually comes at with a higher price so you know is there a danger that travel could become the preserve of the elite again and that sort of you know is it the end of the days of mass market holidays i think so i mean i think i think actually you know destinations who i represent are talking already about resetting uh, and resetting for higher value less volume um so i think i really think we are at a turning point and i also think uh what giles was saying about returning perhaps later next year i hope they do i'd, I'd love it to happen but I think bearing in mind that 62% of the world's aircraft are grounded, it's take three or four years for airlines to put anything like the schedules they used to have um, at the end of 2019 back in place. So if the airlines are not fit for purpose and ready until 2023, let's say, then I reckon there's three years of hardship and difficulty in us changing what we're selling, who we're selling to, I honestly think the whole market is going to change substantially in terms of target markets, who's got money and where people are happy to go to. It's going to take years to rebuild some of the healthcare systems around the world. Yeah. And so some of the more adventurous destinations that have been popular and growing in recent years, uh, we won't want to go to. Uh, we might not want to go to cities as much as we used to. We might want the space that Giles has been talking about and the privacy. And fundamentally, we won't have the choice or the value to be able to take the decisions we used to take. There won't be so many destinations to fly to, and it'll be expensive to get to certain places. I think we're in for a massive shake-up in this industry. Do you agree with that, Alan? I know the members of your association are aware of that, thinking along those lines that they're going to have to change? Yes. I mean, a lot of them sell to the US, for example, and they're... The, the, the carriers are saying that fares might fall for a short period after they start up again, but in on the longer term, they will have to go up. I mean, somebody will have to pay for all this. And of course, you know, testing at airports sounds relatively simple. It isn't, and it's time consuming. I mean, here in the UK, we had to send 50,000 tests to the US last week because we didn't have sufficient lab power. I mean, it's just crazy. And, and you know, there was talk by... Uh, by the CEO of Heathrow, of people queuing in a kilometre queue for security of being there four hours before departure. That doesn't really sound like a holiday to a lot of people. It sounds like torture. And I think we're going to have to move 
a good way down the, the line before we see a lot of people wanting to do, as they do now, short breaks to Poland for weekends. They're not going to they're not going to suddenly return. I think, uh, as uh, Paul said, I think city breaks are going to be a real issue because that's where you're on public transport. You're confined in in a space with a lot of people. I mean, nobody in the right mind will be travelling on the London Tube at the moment. And that's despite the fact that 90% of people aren't travelling on the Tube. Uh, and I think we've got to look at a lot of issues before we see the market back to the way it was last year. I'm a travel agent. Should I be now looking to, you know, push more domestic holidays to try and, you know, get agreements in place with domestic holiday operators? Was You know, there's not that many out there that do work with the trade and pay a commission so you know that's what agents need in order to make their business work they need to have an earning so it, it, would you would you be advising them to 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 look at that sector more well i would just say the domestic market is the one in the short term that is going to do well i would think certainly over the next two years domestic is the to be and so if i was running an agent, I'd be looking at growing my domestic business um, in, in light of the fact I won't be selling as much international business. So the domestic market should grow. People want to be close to home. They'll want to be close to home for family reasons, for health reasons, and also for certainty, knowing they don't have, have to cross a border. Um, and, and so if I was in, in, the, in the agency business, I'd definitely be advising uh, to, to do more domestic. And, and I will be from a PR point of view as well. You know, as an industry, what do we need to do in terms of our, I don't mean marketing necessarily in terms of getting sales in, but just, you know, the, the way we promote ourselves as an industry. What, 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 does, what does the industry, whether it's from the agent level, the supplier, the airlines, what, what do we need to do to make sure we get that consumer trust back up? Well, I think there are going to be two things needed in due course, although it's still too early to do any of these until there's more visibility. But one is undoubtedly going to be repositioning. Uh, a lot of businesses are going to have to reposition, not just restructure as they try to restart, but reposition what they're for. And that's going to mean rebuilding confidence among consumers and, and, and getting them to book. So companies should be, uh, travel brands are going to have to be asking themselves, what are we for now? Where are we focusing on? How are we going to show that we care and, and well, the sustainability safety. point come into that that's been a big issue hasn't it people saying this actually is a watershed moment and it could turn us more into sort of a responsible travel i know that's something that uh, avalon and cosmos have been working very hard on any anyway but should that be yeah. something they push to the fore yeah definitely i think as part of this reset and and restructuring and reposition it's going to be around how responsible you are as an operator that doesn't just mean where you're um, focusing on where you're sending people to, but also in terms of being responsible in terms of refunds and how you care. So I think customer care teams are going to be the ones that are invested in um, over the coming coming weeks and months, and uh, customer services teams will change. They'll become more caring, and the initial answer will be perhaps more of a yes than a no. Um, but, uh, but aside from that, a repositioning focus to, to rebuild trust, it's also going to be about value. And I honestly think that this is going to be a time where consumers may see and get better value from companies who are going to have to offer good deals initially to, to get people back and to get income in and to, to rebuild that confidence. And then when people are happy and have an experience, they'll pay a bit more. Yeah. It's the only way we're going to inject more income and more revenue into this sector at the moment. 
Is that, is that um, something you're doing, Giles? And, and, and have you started really marketing yet? I mean, everyone was talking about when's the right time because, you know, clearly if things can't actually go anywhere, when, when is the right time to actually start putting those messages out to your customers? We haven't, we've sort of cut back on all our marketing. We are still talking to our customers, but we're talking about dreaming, planning, um, thinking about places they'd like to go. We're, we're really focused on that sort of dreaming, aspirational um, process. We're not trying to sell anything at the moment. Uh, that said, we're, we, we've got travel agents saying to us that they're getting customer demand uh, and they're asking us for 2021 prices. And we are, we are selling some holidays for 2021. But I think there's something about trying to be clear what you stand for to customers, why they should book with you, why they should book with you as a tour operator, as a travel agent, explaining to them the value that you add, the way that you work, the values that you have as a business. And I think you know, we've got business values and we already communicate those. I think we need to do a much better job of communicating our values uh, around doing the right thing for the right reasons. You know, These are inherent values within our business. We probably don't talk with, about them openly and publicly enough and I think that's where tour operators and travel agents probably will score well in customer mindset in the future is you know we're human beings running businesses and businesses have values and those values sort of sit within the people who work within those businesses. Travel Weekly features editor Katie McGonagall speaks to Club Med's Northern Europe Managing Director Estelle Giraudoux and Palladium Hotel Group's Senior Business Development Manager Joanne Peters about their brand's respective plans. Estelle and Joe, perhaps you could just give us a, a bit of an update on the current situation with your resorts around the world. Um, are they all closed for the minute? Do you have any idea of when they're likely to reopen? And, and perhaps do you anticipate some countries or regions opening up before others? Um, Estelle, perhaps we'll start with you on that one. Sure, happy to, uh, happy to start. Um, well, with ClubMed, the, the beauty of the model is that we're very spread out all around the world, which allows us not to have too much dependency or high dependency on an on on area. So we can follow the evolution of the, of the COVID crisis. Um, so we have reopened actually uh, four of our Chinese resorts a few weeks ago. Um, and we're happy to see that there is a strong appetite uh, in terms of domestic travel. So we've seen some occupancy rate higher than last year, for example. For Europe, we plan, and again, it depends not on us, but on the um, local authorities' um, decisions to reopen um, beginning of July, so 1st of July. And we would even reopen um, our summer mountain resorts of Les Arcs uh, in the French Alps by the end of June. So that's the plan. Um, and then obviously all the Caribbean and uh, Mm, South American ones, it will absolutely depend on the uh, on the uh, local authorities. But but we have a kind of strong hope. I would say that we are now closer and closer day after day um, to the end of the tunnel. Even though, of course, we have to be extremely cautious with whatever we're saying, like all of us in the travel industry, because everything can change um, one day from another. Um, but it seems there is more and more hope that. Uh, summertime will happen with some travel plans for our customers. Yeah, that's really promising news. And it, it, yeah, obviously you've got to be subject to the local authorities um, and their restrictions, but yeah, it, it does seem like there are some little green shoots of recovery as, as some resorts have started to reopen. And, and Joe, what about your markets? What are you yeah. looking at, at the moment? 
Uh, same as Estelle, really. We're quite lucky in the fact that we've got hotels in Italy, in mainland Spain, the Balearics, the Canaries, Mexico, Jamaica, Dominican Republic, Brazil. Um, and they've sort of, at the moment, we're planning on them opening at various different stages, obviously, depending on where we are with current local um, rules and things. Um, so we're hoping uh, 12th of June uh, will be for Costa del Sol and also Hard Rock Tenerife. Um, Ibiza just a week after the 19th of June and then the 1st of July for our hotels in the Caribbean and Mexico so fingers crossed but <laughs> they're the plans. <laughs> yeah and actually those those dates June July it doesn't feel that far away now does it so, so that is it is promising after several weeks of what feels like just endless doom and gloom so it's quite nice to hear that. When the results do start to reopen, uh, directing this more at Estelle and Joe, um, what measures are you thinking of putting in place to ensure the safety of staff and guests? Uh, you know, some all-inclusive brands have released some details of plans for changes to buffet dining or managing capacity at shared spaces like the pool. So what changes are you anticipating in your resorts? Estelle, maybe we'll start with you on that one. Um... So, so far, and this is something we will actually disclose to our clients um, and trade partners in the coming um, days and weeks. So this is the first time we communicate officially on, on the first measures we have decided to, to take in our resorts. Um, I would say short term and long term. Long term is obviously a lot of uncertainty, but if we start with the short term ones, um, the obsession that we have at Club Med is to make sure that we uh, stick to the freedom because this is part of our DNA and as well the safety of our clients and of our teams. So having said that, there is a lot of things actually that we put in place that we can leverage even more. I'm going to take the example of the easy arrival check-in. So before we already used a lot um, the easy check-in where you can check in online with your mobile without having to go to the reception. So it's something we will encourage even more to really um, limit as much as possible the contact that the clients have with the reception. Once you arrive with the, at the reception for obviously any, any kind of reasons, you will have a, a glass that will protect uh, both the team and the, and the clients. Um, you will also have a lot of floor signs or floor signals just to make sure that we always um, stick to the uh, social distancing when there is a queue at the reception or at the restaurant. For the restaurant, we will also put more space between the different tables and to make sure that we keep having a good flow and, and, and use the capacity for the clients to have their, their, their lunch and, uh, and dinner and breakfast. Um, we will extend the hours, the opening hours of the restaurant so that there is a flow that is a bit more um, extended or expanded uh, in the, during, during the day. Um, this is also something um, that we are thinking more and more, and that's something, again, we, we did in the past, is to have more and more restaurants where you're seated and when people and waiters come to serve you. Um, I would say something about the buffet, because I've read a lot of things about the fact that buffet should be totally forbidden, etc. Um, and I think that's part potentially of the misconception we have on the all-inclusive all and maybe especially premium all-inclusive is that there is no buffet per se in the way that, yes, people can uh, go around a, a very nice table or, or booth of food. But we have now always um, our teams who are behind the booth and who are giving you the right you know, amount in a very nicely well-presented manner, uh, the, the food that, that you're going to have. So you don't have now all the buffet where it's, you know, a lot of food and everybody's helping themselves. And that's where you start to have potential um, safety and, and um, hy hygiene um, issues. Um, the other thing that we are uh, thinking about is obviously the masks um, that will be, um, that will be um, mandatory. 
everything about the gel. We also uh, invested more money to have more uh, frequent and more in-depth cleanings uh, for all the facilities and obviously including the, the bedrooms. Um, we also have, we will have a specific attention to the uh, kids clubs because this is a big strength for us and this is a big um, part of our uh, promises as a brand. So we are thinking of different measures that we can put in place. One of them as an example is to do maybe less big games and big activities with our, all the kids together, but more um, small groups uh, of kids doing um, activities together. Um, and I would say maybe the last thing that um, we would encourage even more, uh, which is uh, the outdoor activities. So we're lucky in Club Med to always have big amount of spaces um, because one of the key, um, I would say, competitive advantages we have is that a lot of um, of activities are outdoors, like the flying trapeze, etc. So I would say that we would encourage that even more because that allows us to limit the spread of, of the virus as I think everybody, um, everybody, everybody knows today. For the long term, it's still hard to predict, uh, but I think uh, obviously when we open new resorts, we'll have to think maybe differently to enable all those measures to be uh, thought and designed at the very beginning of the project, which is easier than just you know adding other things um, afterwards. I think the thing that we might want to do more is uh, what we have in our exclusive collection products. So basically it's uh, villas and chalet and uh, small, resource within one resort or what we have done in Michels in Dominican Republic where it's a it's a resort but you have four different areas four different ambiences etc and this is something I think will make a lot of sense in the future because people will feel that they have the best of both worlds so all the facilities of the resort but at the same time uh, they will have more intimacy and they will feel more in an exclusive environment with their own pool with their own restaurants and bars rather than big facilities for the whole resort so that's again that's really um, work in progress thinkings and it's it's too early days to really have a clear understanding of how the um, resorts will look like in the future but it gives you I think a, a, a bit of flavor of the direction where we should go which is the premium all-inclusive but in a very uh, tailor-made and, and personalized way and where you're really mixing the um, the advantages of being all together but with the social distancing, which is more having this intimacy and this reconnection in small groups and small facilities. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, that sounds like, you know, very manageable changes to the dining, to, uh, you know, to relatively small things that actually guests might not even notice. Um, how long do you think that the masks will be mandatory for? Because that does see, that feels like perhaps the, the biggest thing that, that guests would sort of pick up on. So we will always stick to uh, the local authorities' guidelines. Uh, this is our commitment. So, you know, if a government says it's absolutely mandatory to have a mask in um, outdoor, which is the case in some European countries, like in France, for example, if I'm not mistaken, I'm French, so that would be <laughs> annoying that I'm mistaken. Um, but I think that's the case. Uh, whereas in the UK, it's encouraged. It's encouraged, especially in public transport, but it's not mandatory at all. Um, so... I would say we all, we will always stick, which which is like any kind of uh, rules. We will always stick to the uh, country where we uh, where we are. Yeah, that that makes absolute sense. And, and Joe, you know, are you sort of thinking of some similar things to that, some slightly different things? I mean, I guess with Palladium's range of different brands, um, you know, the, the the requirements might vary a little bit between different hotels and, and certainly in different regions. Yeah, very very similar to as Estelle said, actually. Um, 
sort of safety and, and cleanliness and hygiene, etc., has always been a forefront of Palladium's mind anyway, to the extent where every single restaurant we have for as long as I remember when you walk in the host will always bring you um, hand sanitizer so for us it's sort of just really trying to reassure our customers now that with all of this going on that we've put further things in place as well so that they feel like they're protected like they're being at home um, so we've worked alongside the World Health Organization and um, we've actually just launched a pack here's one I found earlier um, and we've got our own task force now which are working on things and implementing sort of new procedures making sure the staff of the hotels are trained with these new um, uh, sort of restrictions and, and we're, that we're being compliant a um, couple of little things we're sort of changing uh, same we said about the distancing the moving of the tables the markers on the floors um, for a lot of our resorts we've maybe got six or seven buffet restaurants to choose from, um, nine or 10 a la carte restaurants, 24 bars. So space-wise for us, again, isn't an issue. So it's quite nice that we've got that to move people around. And we're really gonna encourage things like uh, pre-booking the restaurant time. So again, we can monitor and make sure that's all tickety-boo. Um, we're also encouraging all of our room service. So with our TRS hotels, that's 24 hour room service anyway. So we're gonna obviously encourage that people dine and sit maybe on their terrace or in their hot tub or while they swim up. <laughs> I wish I was there now. <laughs> um, so the room service for TRS is still 24 hours a day. In our Grand Palladium, it's 12 hours a day from 11 through to 11. Um, so again, we're gonna encourage a lot of, of that side of things. Um, on the technology side of things, we're going to look at trying to do check-ins and check-outs um, all online. Um, we already have in place a portal for our TRS resorts and some of our Grand Palladiums as well, where they can live chat to their butlers or live chat to their guest services. So again, that stops the unnecessary interaction maybe with front of staff, uh, front of um, hotel staff. Um, so they can maybe find out what the entertainment's uh, is taking place that day either from their TV screens in their rooms or on their apps and um, all the way down to things like our transportation systems um, that go around the resorts like our mini golf buggies and um, they can be booked on your app so rather than again having to go up to somebody and ask for the buggy you can do it all on the app you tell them where you are you find your GPS location it comes and picks you up and takes you to where you're going so there's a lot of things that are sort of already in place but it's just a, I think a matter of reassuring the customers that these things will still be there um, and that this is what we're doing, hence why we've got this document put together and a task force working on that just to make sure um, everything is sort of compliant. But the, um, the idea is that we advertise this now on our website so that we can eliminate any guest concerns or queries they've got as well early on so they've got peace of mind um, before doing sort of travelling and arriving. Um, what else have we got? Oh, there's so many things that we've done. <laughs> Um, with our buffet restaurants, we're trying to come away from, again, as Estelle was saying, um, with them sort of helping themselves, there'll be the staff there that will serve them, so individual portions rather than going along the buffet and putting 25 different types of dishes on your plate at the same time, which we always do. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a lot of things in there and, and just generally upping our um, sort of disinfectant cleaning um, right down to luggages and mists that go uh, sort of into the grounds etc as well so yeah and I mean just looking at the all-inclusive model in general you know it had been hugely successful prior to coronavirus kind of throwing everything into chaos um do you think there are some advantages to the all-inclusive resort model in the sense of you know people being kind of in the resort perhaps not mixing with you know 
different communities, not, not traveling around all the time. And, you know, how do you think that's going to play in a kind of post coronavirus world? And what sort of trends are you seeing in the kind of the way all inclusive holidays have developed? Joe, perhaps we'll start with you just for a bit of variety on that. <laughs> um, I think they'll be um, more popular now than ever. I think it gives that bit of peace of mind. It's something that we can control. We can't control the local bar or restaurant, but within our hotels we can. So I think it's more a peace of mind um, for the customers. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think all inclusive is the way forward for sure. Um, and I think on the budgeting side of things as well, with everything that's happened and going on, and people maybe postponing from this year to next year, they want to know exactly what they're paying, and they want to be able to know that this is what it is. This is what's going to cost. That's all your food. That's all your drink, and so on. A cost perspective, I think it's a real good um, a good benefit as well. So I think again, all inclusive will will continue to to grow for sure. Yeah, and I think you had some growth plans, didn't you? Have they been affected um, by the coronavirus? Have you had to kind of postpone anything or is everything still on track? Uh, sort of-ish on track, <laughs> um, sort of-ish. Uh, so we had um, two hotels due to open in Sicily this year that have been put back now till 2021. Um, we had um, a hotel in Menorca, again, that was due to open this year that's been pushed back to 2021, um, so from the start of the summer. Um, and then we have two hotels actually in Ibiza that have been completely rebranded that were due to do one more season of this brand of Fiesta and then to change to TRS as that 2021 and we're just not going to continue with that for this year they'll just open um, for again May 21 so lots of exciting things coming <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is also good because if this you know is, is still affecting in any way at least it means now we can put different things in place in the build so that again you know that those things are covered so yeah absolutely as, as Estelle was saying before and, and actually it, you know it, it does still feel like that's a measure of confidence in the future of the yeah. industry, even if things are postponed for the minute um yeah. you know it's nice that those brands are still still going for next year and Estelle you also had some very ambitious growth plans and, and you mentioned earlier actually that being able to kind of roll some of those coronavirus uh, sort of social distancing measures and things like that into the um new build stage is easier than kind of retrofitting stuff so have you kind of changed any of your expansion plans um on the basis of this or, or changed the timelines on them at all so so far there is no change in the plans which is a good thing uh so we are we have refurbished uh, la palmyre which is in the northwest of france uh, to a four trident so the, the equivalent of a four-star resort um and that will be open hopefully this summer, if the French lo local authority um, uh, enables that. Um, we have Seychelles opening by the end of the year. We have La Rosia in the French Alps opening at uh, the end of the year, next year, uh, Quebec. So everything so far is put in place. And again, I want to be cautious because depending on how the crisis can evolve, uh, things can change. But so far, uh, this is totally um, on track, which is, uh, which is a good thing. Um, I can also rebound on what Joe said about the... Um, the advantages of all inclusive in this context, and I think she's absolutely right. I would emphasize even more the fact that, again, it's it's not fair to say it's like any crisis because we all know that it's not like any crisis. But if you compare to the 208 crisis or to the Brexit referendum, which has a very local crisis in a way, we have always seen the all inclusive gaining shares of market and Club Med was part of the um, uh, of this trend um, because there is a strong attention to the value for money. And again, doesn't mean that um, we want lower prices or lower kind of product, but the value for money will be potentially even more important in the uh, top criteria that the clients will 
um, use to make their decisions in terms of travel. So I do strongly believe that there will be a strong opportunity for all-inclusive in general and premium all-inclusive especially. And we will probably, and that's what we forecast, see a strong appetite of clients who want to make the most of their lives and they want to reconnect together. And that's why not only the all-inclusive allows that with all the activities, but more importantly, because you don't have to take care of all the logistic and the planning and budget thinking, etc. All your time in the resort is 100% uh, dedicated to um, have fun and, and reconnect with your loved ones. So I think those two aspects, which are one is very rational and another one is much more intangible, will make a most of sense um, for the, uh, the all-inclusive segment um, in general and especially in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if there's one thing that will unite us all after this, it's the need for a holiday. <laughs> um, but as you say, a holiday in a, you know, that's good value, that is predictable in terms of cost, given the, the financial impact that lots of people have, have had on this. Thank you for listening. You can find the original versions of these discussions and many others at go.travelweekly.co.uk forward slash webcasts. If you've enjoyed listening, please remember to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps.